This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. I'm Ethan Alexanian. Don't know why I keep repeating that. You just heard that in the little intro. Um, you know what? I, I, I'm excited for the chat today, so I'm going to sh- uh, skip the, the stupid little spiel I do and just get right into it. You know, we, we have a very groovy guest for you today. Uh, she's a co-host of a fellow Beatle podcast called BC the Beatles. Please welcome Alison Borat. Alison, welcome to Fans on the Run. Thanks, Ethan. Happy to be here. How, excited. how are you today? Um, today is, I'm all right. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, another day in paradise um, in quarantine here in LA. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. 2021, everyone. It's. I still have high hopes. I, I think it'll get better. It, it, it could get better. We, I, I hope it, it gets better. I'm trying to think positively because, yeah, yeah, I'd like to leave my general area a little bit this year. Yeah. General area. Well, you know, like travel. Oh, yes. A bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd yeah. like to I'd like to go more than five kilometers outside of my house. Yeah. Yeah. That's a general hope I've got. Yeah. Again, the bar is also set very, very low right now. It is. So if we just keep that bar collectively very low, hopefully we can be a bit more happy with what happens. Yeah, I think a lot of us, um, you know, have readjusted our expectations. I know I have. I thought last... Well, last year I did make it to Liverpool, thank God, before um, the world kind of shut down. And, you know, I spent Christmas in, in Italy... Because, like, the one thing I love to do is travel. So, yeah. um, that was good. But the rest of the year was as it was for everybody else. Yeah. Well, the it's weird how, you know, situations can change your your bar for life. Um, that, I, I'm, I'm not good at phrasing things. As anyone who's listened to the show can tell you. Uh, I'm trying to, f- what, what's the way to put it, you know, after it was like four months in complete lockdown and there was that brief period in time where people were starting to like, you know, life was kind of beginning again and now we're back in full on lockdown here in Ontario and yeah. life is not happy. Yeah. It keeps vacillating, you know, back and forth. I think that's the hardest part, but hopefully... Yeah. I mean, here in the U.S., hopefully things will get better very soon. Yeah. Well, there's that, that vaccine. Yeah. True. And apparently Ontario's almost run out of it already. Oh, no. Well, I'm sure they'll get more. Yeah. Again. Great on pacing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let's talk about something more uplifting. The Beatles. Let's talk about the Beatles. Yeah. Let's yeah. Let's do it. I I was about to say something, you know, I, I always pull this, you know, explain to the folks at home who the Beatles are card, <laughs> but I was told by a host of another show that it was annoying when I did that. So oh, I'm really? not I'm not going to do that. Wow. Uh cool. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't hurt my feelings, only a little. Yeah, I I can imagine. Yeah. 
I mean, it probably is annoying, so at least they're being truthful. Uh, yeah, sure. You can see it that way. Yeah. So, let's go back to the beginning. How did you first discover the Beatles? Well, I like a lot. Well, I don't know if it's like a lot of people, but I had sort of a gateway drug into the Beatles. Um, surprisingly, neither of my parents were fans. Uh, my father died when I was very young, so I actually don't really know if he was, but my mom wasn't. And it's kind of annoying because she was born in 43. She had me late in life and she would have been like the perfect age to have seen the Beatles, to met, to have met the Beatles you know, uh, yeah. in their in their prime. And it was really super annoying. Same age um, as George. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so very annoying. Um, and so I came by the Beatles via, like, oldies radio, um, and I got into the Monkees first uh, in 1997 when they replayed their show on Nick at Night. I was super duper into the Monkees. And at that point, I had this notion in my head that I couldn't like both the Beatles and the Monkees had to be one or the other. No, so, that's just one of the laws of the universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would think, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I didn't want to upset the balance, you know, and, and cause the world to go off its axis. But yeah, I um. So thank- yeah, it took thankfully, me- we've crossed that threshold now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God that hasn't actually happened. Cause yeah. Can you imagine what a nightmare life would be? Um, so yeah, I then in the year 2000, um, I discovered the Beatles via my, um, junior high school English teacher who would play the, the yellow submarine soundtrack, the blue cover. Okay. Um, yeah. In class. And I got really, I got curious about it and I was sort of like, okay, well maybe these Beatles guys aren't that bad. Your teacher was on her A game. That album had been out for like less than a year by that point, probably. Yeah, I mean, it was that maybe well, maybe why he had it. Maybe he'd just gotten it, but um, you know, this was pre the one album, of course. And yeah, um, yeah, I yeah, and so I got really interested in it. Um, still like that album, probably for that reason. Um, but yeah, and then I, you know, by that time I had been um, ingratiated into the oldies music community that was sort of coming up online at that point. Like we were all building really shitty fan sites on Angel Fire and GeoCities and that kind of thing. Um, Can you and, still uh, access any of these old sites? I've tried. I've gotten into my Angel Fire site. Okay. Um, not, I don't remember how long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, but I I should go back. I, but it's all sort of on the Wayback Machine. Well, Angel which, Fire, I guess, are the true heroes here. You know, keeping that on their servers for 20 years or so. Yeah. I know, I know. It's uh, for posterity and for lack thereof as well. Um, I'm in the so, process of building a site for fans on the run, and I'm so tempted I want to build it through GeoCities. Oh my god. If you can still, I remember I always wanted like geocities.com slash like Sunset Strip. There was that, and then there was one that was like Beachwood, which everybody wanted because that was the Monkey Street address. Um, and what else was there on GeoCities? But there were these different like sort of... Uh, God, I don't even know what you call them, like subdomains yeah. that you could build off of. Like themes? No, it was sort of like, it would be in your URL. So it'd be like geocities.com slash sunset strip slash uh, fans on the run or whatever. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I don't remember even if you could pick yours. Uh, it just sort of assigned it to you. But, you know, those are the Wild West days. But I sort of, I've always kind of thought about buying 
well, I recently got access. I bought back my old domain that I had for years, which was flaming-pi.net. There's nothing there. Okay. Now. But I had it. I bought it in 2001 and had it for years, and then I let it expire. But I recently got it back, so I'm sort of like, ooh, should I, like, build, like, a really crappy, like, Beatles fan site on it, like, for all time's sake? You have to. I know. I really want to. I uh, When I have time... <laughs> And I suppose now, this is the most time I'll ever have in my life. Uh, maybe I should do it now. You you have to. And I offer any shitty graphic design service to make this happen. Well, your, your graphic design service isn't shitty. So if you can turn me on to a shitty graphic designer. No, the shitty graphic designer will just mean. be in a mustache. You know, oh, in see. disguise. Like an alter ego. Yes. Got it. Yeah. So anyway, um, roundabout to say... You know, once I discovered the Beatles, I got sort of into the Beatles um, online community and met a bunch of friends who I'm still friends with today. And, um, you know, and that was kind of it. That was a big part of it was, um, you know, meeting a lot of my own age, my own age fans online, um, sharing music, talking about it. Because, of course, this was before YouTube, before this might have been around the dawn of Napster, and I definitely would download a lot on Napster um, and LimeWire. What about Kazaa? Hell yeah, I love Kazaa. We we need right some Kazaa representation up in here. Uh, yeah, Kazaa was I you know Napster was kind of lasted a very short time, and then Kazaa I think was my main uh, pirating platform. Remember, kids, we don't condone piracy. Uh, no, well, you don't even need to do it anymore. It's like not fun because you no. got Spotify. It, it's not even worth it to pirate. Because no. pretty much everything, or there's like you know you could get whatever you want on like Reddit or fan swaps or yes, you know whatever. But yeah, the old days that was pretty fun. I must say. Uh, actually, I want to ask you: How does the Beatles online community? Because you're you're quite involved with Instagram. Uh, where mm. I'd say most of the current active young generation of Beatle fans are. How would you say, uh, you know, the online community compares to that of like 20 years ago? Oh my gosh. Well, keep in mind I'm 20 years older, so I'm not, um, I don't know, I'm not in probably the most, um, I mean, I, I'm active, but I think there's a, a generation under me that's way more creative with the platform. Um, and I think it's amazing. And I see a lot of that camaraderie. I think it's just nicer because it's more streamlined. Like, you know, back when we were doing fan sites, it's like, oh, I like this girl's fan site. Like, where's her email? Is it on here? Like, how do I, how do we contact each other? And then, you know, it's like AIM and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, Instagram, I've met a lot of really cool people just by sliding into their DMs or they slide into mine. So that's been really nice, uh, you know just for virtue that there's so many different ways to connect now you know via social media you actually also said something which i i've noticed is a bit of a reoccurring theme uh, the monkeys as a gateway drug H how do you think that kind of shaped your perception of the beatles oh god that's such a good question because uh like i said like i hated the beatles um because i you know i chose quote unquote chose the monkeys um that's a super great question. I don't know. Um, because I don't think I, in my everyday life now, of course, uh, compare them as such. Um, 
I, I've always seen them as separate entities. I've never, you know, some people think like the monkeys were a ripoff of the Beatles, like whatever. Um, I don't see that. I see them for, you know, for what they were. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe if I had come to it the other way, I would have seen the monkeys as sort of a ripoff. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that at all. So your, your English teacher had the, played the Yellow Submarine out. What was the first Beatle album or solo Beatle album or whatever that you like bought yourself? Oh Lord. I, so. Um, and I don't mean like, you know, Kazar LimeWire. <laughs> what a physical copy. Yeah. I don't remember, I don't remember um, the first one I bought. Probably, I think it was probably the Red and the Blue albums. I got for Christmas, I'm pretty sure, one year. But I actually, remember... you you just said something which I kind of want to say because I'm really excited about this for like the most dorky reason. My first ever Beatle album or piece of music I owned was that old chunky uh, Fat Boy Jewel Case version of the Blue Album. Oh and, hell yeah! And the other Those day, Jewel Cases are epic. And I the other day I finally you know, rebought a new copy of that that isn't scratched to hell, along with one that I never had, the Fat Boy Chunky Jewel Case version of the Red Album. Oh my goodness, where should you even find that? Uh, a used record store in town. Shout oh. out to the Beat Goes On. Nice. I love that. Yeah, those were pretty epic. And, I mean, you know, They're not epic when you have young- to take them apart and put you know, the new clear plastic bits because the old ones are so scratched. Uh, yeah, it's like, I have CDs like that too. They're well-loved. They're well-loved, but, you know, I want them to look nice. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you, you know, invested in those. I certainly remember those chunky red and blue yeah. um, jewel cases. This, yeah. Like that the actual, memories. the jewel case bits are actually like red and blue. Right. And I yeah. still get a kick out of that. It's like the yeah. most archaic packaging, but I still... Yeah. Hey, hey, it's not. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I work in music. We still do jewel cases. Uh, we don't... I mean, I don't remember ever doing like a red or blue, but I think that is that is pretty cool. I do... I also remember having the Rolling Stones Hot Rocks, and that was in a big chunky jewel case as well. Um, do they still make those big chunky jewel cases? Um, I think the a lot of it now is what is called a soft pack. You yeah, know, like so the, it's like a cardboard the, sleeve. Yeah, the, the fold out digi pack kind of thing. Which, to be honest, is probably better for the environment. Yeah, <laughs> than having yeah the plastic jewel cases. But come on, I mean they're not as charming. No, like, to have the to have the red and blue plastic. That's you know pretty epic. Like. I I grew up in a an era with the Beatles music post two thousand nine, so if you wanted them on CD, they were all in those cardboard sleeves. So I've always yeah. found the old jewel case versions extremely charming. And just last year, I bought the old box set from like nineteen eighty seven, that comes in a box that looks like a bread box, with all those Aww. old jewel case versions. And I'm staring at it right now as we talk. Nice. Yeah, no, I mean, I that was me coming up uh, via the jewel cases, and you know, a few years ago, I kind of purged my CDs. I just, you know, I, I if I listen to physical media records, um, yeah. so 
I either have gotten rid of the jewel cases or I've, you know, gotten rid of the CDs themselves. But um, yeah, because they're clunky as hell. And I am kind of glad we switched over to the soft pack. Well, they're, in, in some ways, they're nicer. Yeah. No, it's true. It, I mean, they look nicer, certainly. Yeah. Well, because you don't have that ways. cloudy plastic obscuring the cover. Right. Yeah. I remember the first album I think I bought that was like that was Linda McCartney's Wide Prairie when it came out on CD in, God, I don't even know, early 2000s maybe. But it was that soft pack. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, it's like the future. And now it's every CD I think is like that. Yeah. Um, riveting conversations here on Fans on the Run. Talk yes. about jewel uh, case. Jewel pack. Jewel case versus soft pack. Yes, yeah. Right. But again, I don't care what my audience finds interesting. This is interesting to me. Good. Well, it's your podcast, so. Yeah. How about it? it? It's my party. I'll cry if I want to. Yes. Thank you. Hats off, Leslie Gore. Um. So trying to think um i'll I'll edit this out my brain is very scattered today actually no i'll leave that in uh (laughs) so who who was your favorite beetle when you were younger uh it was john john was always my uh favorite i don't think i ever switched around i think he was just solidly my favorite is he still your favorite well, Ethan, you know where I'm going to go with this. Yeah, I, I I think I do know where. <laughs> Are you leading me? No, I'm, I actually me? wasn't leading. Okay. Well, I mean, of the four, John's probably still and my careful with that, because I was about to start quoting the, the Gilmore Girls theme song. I don't know that. What is... I, I don't watch... I've never watched the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> it, Sorry. It's, no, it's... No, I'm just <laughs> laughing at myself here for... Uh, it's this, like, Carol King thing. It's like, where you lead, I'll follow thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, it kind of is that. I mean, so, uh, for people who are unfamiliar, who yeah. don't listen to Because the Beatles, um, my podcast. Cause Which I you should. You should, absolutely. But uh, I diverge down this road anytime I can. Um, but so yeah, I would say that John is probably my favorite, although I vacillate between John and Paul because I love Paul's music, his solo catalog maybe more than John's. It's it's a whole thing. But I mean, I always say my favorite Beatle is Brian Epstein. And I will live and die by that. That's you know, Brian is the hill I've chosen to die on. So um that's why he kind of supersedes any of the four for me. At, at what point in your, your fandom did you really take notice of Brian? Pre- uh, probably pretty early. I don't remember exactly when, I think, um, but it had to be very early. Um, I had, like, a, a shitty Brian Epstein website. Yeah. <laughs> I, Geocities? You know, I, uh, uh, no, I had my own domain, domain by that point. Okay. So I, I was hosting myself. Um and I have a cat named Epi, and he's 13, so that certainly, uh, you know, predates that. And in fact, I decided to go into uh, the music business because of Brian, and that would have been many years ago. I'm not that old, but I'm old enough. Um, so it, it pretty much from the beginning, I think I just sort of discovered him and was like, felt a kinship there. 
Um, what do you think, or what do you find most interesting about Brian's story? Oh gosh, I mean, I there's just so much. I think the fact that he was so ambitious, you know, he was sort of like when he was a kid, they didn't really know what to do with them, and he kind of like failed at everything, and he he didn't know what to do with himself and then he just sort of like discovered you know that he you know he he snowballed into the music business through his dad's stores and running you know record departments through there and then you know of course discovering the Beatles and like the Mersey Beat Sound and managing artists it's like he sort of discovered his life's purpose but the way he did it he didn't really care that he had no experience or uh, you know, whatever. It was just sort of like, yep, this is this is it. Like, I'm gonna take these boys, and they're gonna be bigger than Elvis. And he was just so, um, like assured in his vision. And I think that's amazing. I think that's a very rare quality that people don't usually have, um, especially from somebody who was so posh that he, you know, got rid of his accent. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't want to be, you know, associated with Liverpool. He just sort of like, you know, was uh very intent on these like nasty leather clad boys um i think also just his personal struggles really uh i mean i respect him so much because he really came up against a lot um you know dealing with a lot of mental health issues dealing with you know um uh homophobia and like by law it was illegal to be basically be homo um you know homosexual and it was illegal till about 67 wasn't it it was, yeah, right after Brian died. Yeah. Um, they decriminalized it, which is a real tragedy. Uh, you know, so he struggled with a lot in his personal life. And, I, you know, as somebody who, um, you know, has always been really committed to, to her work, like, I have always been, like, business is number one. Like, I love, I, I love the art of business. I love the art of the music business, that kind of thing. And it's hard sometimes to, you know, juggle the personal struggles and, and that kind of thing that we all have. Um, and I think Brian dealt with it so much more in a lot of ways. And it's really amazing what he accomplished in such a short life. You know, I, I just everything about his story, it's kind of unbelievable. And he's just such an interesting guy. Uh, what what do you uh, think about some of the other groups he, he managed? Like, wh- which, which ones do you like? Ooh. Well, yeah. God. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite. I, uh, of course, I love Scylla. Scylla yeah. is my girl. Um, and if you, have you, you've seen the three-part biopic, right? I, I've seen, I think, one part. I, I couldn't find the other two. Oh, um, well, in the States, they're streaming on a platform called Acorn. It's like a British Oh, TV. I think we have Acorn. We might. Oh, there you go. We might. Yeah, all three parts. I pay like five ninety nine a month just to have it, just so I can always have Scylla when I watch it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, of course, I love Scylla so much. Um, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers. R.I.P. Jerry. Just yeah. lost him. So sad. But I did get to see him. I'm so glad. Um, I, when I was in Liverpool in February, um, I got to see him perform. And so grateful uh you know that i did that um you know gosh billy j uh a a friend i'm proud to say i love billy uh love his music um imagine telling yourself like you know 15 20 years ago that you'd be friends with billy j kramer 
Uh, Ethan, yeah, that's basically my life. It's a lot of pinching myself from the people that I get to work with and, and know. And it's I'd be just pinching like... myself, too, if I worked at a record label. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it is work, but it's pretty rewarding. It's pretty fun sometimes. Um, so I want to ask, it's, it's the, it's the big deep question of the show. What did the Beatles mean to you? Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's the best response to the question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, everybody's got their beautiful answers and I'm going to sound like, you know, a moron. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's no one on this show sounds like a moron. When you have me as the host. <laughs> oh, stop. Stop stop being so self-deprecating, young man. It's my brand. You whippersnapper. It's, that's change what, your brand. That's what all my <laughs> iTunes reviews say. It's like, oh, he's, God. he's so self-deprecating. It's, it's fun. Oh, people. Come on. Shouldn't encourage that. Yeah. Um, I, so the Beatles, I, I don't know. I think a lot of what they to me in my life it's very surreal because I was just thinking about this the other day where it's you know I remember being a kid like 12 13 and being obsessed with the Beatles um the monkeys 60s music and having like people my family members that are older than me who are maybe first generation fans being like oh my god you need to get a life like you know and and thank god I was a good student because if I I wasn't my mom probably would have taken away my like music collection (laughs) and the internet um, but you know, they were sort of like, get a life, like you need more interests. You need like, blah, blah, blah. Like you're a kid and you love all this old stuff. And, and it's very funny cause uh, like the bulk of my life revolves around the old stuff still like 20 years later. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, the, so the Beatles have really kind of shaped every part of who I am and what I do, you know, from hosting the podcast, um, to going to Beetlefest, to who I interact with on a daily basis, who my friends are, um, you know, what my social groups talk about, like, just, you know, and it's kind of just the the common denominator in my life. And so they mean everything to me. I can't imagine my life if I didn't have them in it, which is kind of crazy to sound, you know, it's kind of crazy to say, but, um, and I don't mean that to sound creepy or <laughs> stalkerish or whatever, but it's like, they're just like omnipresent you know that's not creepy at all that's i I was actually about to say that they're just kind of always there yeah i I, there's and there's not a day that goes by where you know i'm sure it's same for you same for everybody listening you don't encounter them in the wild it's like every day there's something you know beetle-ish in the wild and 50 um, 60 years later now yeah and it's just amazing to me um but i think I always feel very lucky, you know, I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have this crazy interest, um, you know, and it's, it's been, it's been great so far. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You, you mentioned it. I want to ask, what was the first time you went to a Beetlefest like? Ooh, well, the first sort of Beetlefest-ish type thing I went to was Abbey Road on the River, um, and that was... 2002 in Cleveland. I grew up in Ohio. Um, Wait, really? And I, was, I didn't know they've been ho- made, or I've, I didn't know they've been doing them for that long. Oh yeah, that was the first one in 2002, um, and it was 
it was like fucking magical. It was unreal. Uh, my best friend at the time, by the way, I made my best friend get into the Beatles because I didn't have any IRL friends that were into them. No, that's a rite of passage. Um, yeah. Forcing yeah, those exactly. around you to, you know, <laughs> conscripting them into the Beatle fan army. Yeah, no, she had no choice. Like, she got, I made her a Monkees fan. It's never a, a choice. Fan. Like, no, it's it's definitely not. Um, and, you know, like, she's never thanked me, but I think, you know, it's it's in her heart. I'm sure she thanks me. She's listening to this. You can thank her now. <laughs> she's not, because I don't think she uh, has kept up with it. Um, we'll send it. Damn her. Send her this anyways. I with will. With a time stamp. Exactly. Just, just an email with a time stamp. Um, yeah, so, uh, but so the thing with uh, Abbey Road River, especially in the beginning, was it was all about tribute bands. And I'd gotten involved with a tribute band in Ohio called Hard Day's Night, um, which was kind of my first foray into the music industry as far as like working with a band and concerts and live music. Um, so they played there, of course, and they still do. They play there every year. Um, but seeing all the different tribute bands, and that was when Chicago was like a hotbed of like so many tribute bands and all kinds of tribute bands, like John Solo bands and younger bands and you know established bands so just to have like all of that at our fingertips it was amazing and it wasn't even so much about the fan kinship until I started going to Beetlefest which my first one of those was maybe like 2013 um but 2014 was like a, a hot year um for Beetlefest because we had one in New York Chicago and LA that year so getting to kind of experience what was the 50th anniversary of the Beatles and the Ed Sullivan show in three different places with all these different fans, it was great. It was so much fun, um, you know, and so that's kind of like, you know, um, surreal sometimes to still be in a big ballroom with people singing songs and, you know, um, and just, yeah, people who are like you, it still, it still blows my mind that these people exist. <laughs> They're like me. Well, it is quite mind blowing the first time you, you go to one of those things. It's like there's more of us, right? Yeah, it's very and people who speak your language. I think is really the trippiest part because it's like you can talk about some stupid bootleg from you know that surfaced online in 1997, and people will know what you're talking about. Oh. Uh. I, I will clean this up in the edit. I'm just... Don't worry. Yeah. I, I, I told you about what was going on. I'm, my mind's still scattered from that. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, why do, you, why do you think the Beatles still matter to... Or why do you think they still matter now? Um, well, I think, you know, kind of like how you know they're omnipresent in my life I think they're omnipresent in everybody's lives I think they've touched every part of culture certainly music fashion movies um you know anything so it's sort of like you can't ignore something that that, that was that influential in every part of life if that makes sense yeah um you know and that's that's without being like a Beatles fan like you can just exist and the Beatles impact your life in some way whether you know it or not 
And I think that's so unique. I don't think you could say that about anything else ever in history. And I mean, that's quite a, quite a feat, you know? Um, so that's, they, I think they'll always matter. Uh, so how did you, you also, we, I, I mentioned this in the intro and, you know, we've kind of alluded to it. Uh, how did you get involved with the, the Beatle podcasting scene? Well, um, do you want my honest answer? Sure. <laughs> well, okay. So my co-host Erica and I met, uh, online as you do. Um, she had a blog called, and we love them. Um, about the Beatles and the fan community. And then I was running a magazine called Rebeat at the time. And so she came to write uh, for Rebeat and we started like obsessively talking about the Beatles. Uh, We really clicked. And then, you know, I was living in New York. She was living in New York. So we met up and hung out. And then, you know, a few years go by, we start going to fests. Um, You know, I started, well, we both started being on panels, moderating panels, really getting involved with like the expert scene that kind of thing and it sort of just organically evolved out of that because to be honest we really saw a part of the you know the demographic like the fan community wasn't being represented very well by podcasts or by the quote-unquote experts which is you know second third generation fans like the younger fans um women um are you know our voices there's there's a few of us and there's more and more coming up, which is wonderful. Um, when we started Because the Beatles, there were none, <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure. Maybe Kit, uh, maybe Jude doing, um, you know, some uh, some podcasting stuff or, you know, whatever. But um, we really, really wanted to represent female, younger fans who have a different perspective. Um, you know, we don't make bones about, like, where we stand politically. We are very open about our lives and... Um, you know, the Beatles stuff, but we also are sort of, um, you know, we're, we know our stuff, like we're both, what I don't know, historians, I don't want to like make us sound amazing, but, um, you know, we, we really just, um, yeah, we felt like it was really important to kind of start the podcast and, and give a voice to that, those, you know, other Beatles fans like us who, you know, might not have a podcast that they can certainly relate to. Um, you, you touched on something which I, I kind of want to elaborate on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's always a, a it's a tough question, so I'm trying to find the way to phrase it. Um, how prevalent do you think sexism is in the modern Beatles community at large? Wow. Um, I I don't. It really depends on what corners of the internet you go to or who you talk to, um, whether it's in person or on a Facebook group or whatever. Um, I think no matter what, there will always be a degree of sexism. Um, you know, coming at it from a woman's point of view, you know, there are always going to be men who assume that you don't know X, Y, and Z about the Beatles just because you're a woman and they expect us to just think they're super cute and fun and, like oh my god paul is just so sexy like blah blah blah. like it's it's unfathomable that like a woman would know this about the beatles yeah and and you know approach it as we do where you know 
like Erica and I will have the nerdiest conversations ever. And we, you know, diverge down really stupid paths on our show because we get into the nitty gritty so much about just like little things about the Beatles. And it's the kind of stuff that if, you know, another podcast hosted by men, if they did it, it would be like, oh, that's so thought provoking, amazing. But we've had reviews on our Apple, uh, you know, profile or whatever saying that you know we sound like valley girls like i sound like a valley girl and um you know that we chatter too much and using very like sort of coded uh sexist words to describe our podcast and it's it's irksome but it's like of course it kind of comes with the territory there's always going to be that um so i think as long as you know it you don't let it bother you it's it's uh and it does sort of bother me still i'm not gonna lie but um i don't know being a woman you sort of learn to live with it a little bit um and fortunately i don't i don't see us coming up against it in the larger beatles community the people we interact with you know um on a regular basis but there are flashes of it and sometimes it's sort of subtle um maybe people don't even realize they're doing it but um you know, I don't know. It's it's something that you have to take with a grain of salt. Do you think it's uh, gotten better or e- even worse since you've been a part of the Beatle community, or at least to your experience? Yes and no. I mean, I I don't think I was early enough to see it at, at its worst. And I've certainly talked to a lot of other women who have have nightmare stories um, about what it was like in like the seventies and eighties coming up and 90s and I think I was fortunate in that you know I came a little bit later so I I see it getting better in so far as I said there are more women hosting podcasts there are more women getting involved in the like even the academic side um I see you know just women being represented more where it matters in the Beatles community um and also just you know as fans go um just a lot of girl like women girls like you know uh people who post on instagram even and just expressing themselves expressing their fandom and not encountering they i mean they do still encounter jackasses on a regular basis that's called social media yeah. <laughs> you know that's called being on the internet but you know i think um they're having a a a, a decent time they're having a decent experience which is progress so I, I want to ask you, um, how did you kind of get involved with the music business? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I said I started with a, a Beatles tribute band <laughs> and I started doing their website and some photography for them. And then I booked them for a concert um, when I was 16 and I handled all the promotion, the marketing, like literally everything from top to tail. Um about the show because I was pretty sure at that point I wanted to go into live music um so then I went to college and I have a degree in what is called sport art and entertainment management and I'm sure your listeners are falling asleep right now um because I come from a very academic uh, music business background but after I graduated I moved to New York City got my master's in music business from NYU completely useless kids if you're listening don't get that master's uh it's it's obsolete the moment you graduate because the music business changes changes so much. What would you recommend the kids get in place of that? Experience. Yeah, experience. I think uh, 
the kids, quote unquote, I would recommend a degree in maybe like marketing communications. Uh, like if you want to work on studio audio engineering, like that kind of thing, but like, don't go for a fucking music business degree. It is, it's so, you know, um, temporary, the stuff you learn. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my soapbox talk on that. But you know, while I was going to school, I, you know, worked in music publishing. I worked at record labels. I look at, I worked at live music. Of course, I worked pretty much everywhere um, in every sector of the music business trying to figure out where I wanted to be. Um, and just eventually uh, wound up moving to LA, um, working a lot of freelance for labels, for artists, uh, for events, like anything over time, did a lot of gigging. And now I work, uh, at my dream job, which is I work for uh, Rhino Records here in LA, um, the label w- that I wanted to work for since I was 11, and I discovered the monkeys. I was like, I want to work for Rhino. So, ta da! <laughs> well, talk about, you know, asking yourself from, or imagine telling yourself like 20 years ago, like I've seen pictures of you with monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, one, I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. It's funny. Um, when, I, when I first started at Rhino, um, I was going into the kitchen to get, get a cup of coffee and I was standing there just like waiting for my coffee to brew in a Keurig or whatever. And I looked to my left and fucking Mickey Dolan's walk pa- walks past me in the kitchen. And I was just like, dot, dot, dot. Okay. And I saw one of my coworkers coming after and she's like, yeah, that was who you thought it was. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like that. And I met Mickey a couple times, but it just to see him like at, work at Rhino, you know, um, it's just, it's always surreal. Um, and I, you know, I've seen him many, many times at work since then and, uh, worked with him on like some video shoots and stuff like that, but it's always like, it's very surreal. I mean, I, I, if I could go back and tell my 11 year old self this, that I mean, I've actually met all four monkeys. It's like, you know, it's, I don't know. This is not a monkeys podcast. I'm sorry, but this show, um, we're allowed to talk about whatever the fuck we want. Fabulous. Okay, well then, yeah. It's been, it's it's pretty cool. It's very, it is surreal. I think that's the word. Um, just even to have a job that I really love and work on releases that I really love and am passionate about. Um, yeah, like that's super fulfilling. Was that the most surreal thing that happened or has happened to you working at, you know, a label like that? Um... Gosh, it's hard to say because, I mean, the, the surreality comes in very different ways. Like, you know, last year, uh, well, gosh, I guess now it's 2019, not last year anymore. Um, you know, we did a big Woodstock project and I got to be very involved in that. And, you know, um, that came with a, its own batch of just surreality where we had, you know, John Morris, who was one of the original announcers of Woodstock, come in and do some stuff with us. And, you know, just getting to really ha- be hands-on with the release itself was amazing. And, you know, so it's like, and of course, there's like random people that come through the office. Um, I, you know, actually, David I just want to like interrupt you there. <laughs> uh, you brought up the Woodstock box. I, I want to tell you that, you know, I, I see it occasionally in record stores. And I think to myself, my friend worked on that. Yeah, your friend did. Yeah. <laughs> that that's my baby. I like to call it. Um, do you see the big box? I well, I've I've seen uh, like the wooden crate box. I is that the one with like thirty 
something. Yeah. I have not yeah. seen that one, but I've seen it's like 10 CDs or what. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some, the ten... You know, it, it's not as large as the big one. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's like a 10 CD configuration. There's like a five LP. Yeah. All those. The babies. Um, I did. It's funny. Uh, we talked about Beetlefest. I. Gosh, it was 2019 because I brought the Woodstock Babies, which I call like the little littler configurations, to Beetlefest in Chicago. Um, and I set up a little table there in the marketplace um, with those guys. But I went over to one of the dealers in the memorabilia area and he had one of the big boxes, which by that time it was way sold out. Couldn't get it. And he had jacked up the price on it um, like two or three times what it was originally selling for. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> he's got one and he's selling it for this much. But I, you know, of course, I just had to take a picture and send it to the team and be like, I found one in the wild, guys. <laughs> did, you, did you say, hey, I, that's that's my project? I did. I was sort of like, what number do you have? Because they were all numbered. I was just curious, you know, so I had to, like, inspect it <laughs> and make sure it looked looked good. The Beetle Fest you actually mentioned, that was my my very first fest. And I actually remember seeing in the corner or like in the dealer room, a, a table that's like Woodstock. Yeah. Wait. Did you did Did you come to my table? I I I might have. I don't remember that. The it was. I spent most of my time in the dealer room on day one, and that uh-huh. day is very hazy in my memory. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, you know, to take in at Beetle Fest. It's hard to sort of, yeah, even to even on the everything. Sunday, you're still like, whoa. Oh yeah, I mean Sunday, I'm usually super hungover and I can't remember <laughs> anything anyway. So <laughs> that's my Sunday Beetle Fest. See, my my Beetle Fest experience is going to change dramatically now that I kind of know how these work, because Sunday for me is going to get a lot more strategic, because that's oh, that's yeah. when all the sales start in the dealer room yes yes so now i'm gonna like i remember some of the best deals i've ever gotten on records were was at that sunday at it was like the rockaway records booth like rockaway hey i I had local local boys here in la i went over to their booth just as they were moving things from the main section to the discount Mm -hmm. section so i i ended up getting like a uk mono sergeant pepper for 15 dollars Holy shit, that's a great deal. And a, like a British pressing of a Kinks album for $5. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you cleaned up. They probably didn't want to schlep it back to LA. And I feel so cheap now that I had spent all my, my money. They had this green vinyl export copy of Abbey Road that was 15 And I tried to get them to go down to 20 because I didn't have 30 on me. And they laughed at me. They, they literally <laughs> laughed at me. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you gotta try the right yeah. to shoot your shot. I mean, I would have bought it if I had 30 on me. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, there's a great dealer. Um, I don't know if they were at Chicago the last fest, that fest you're talking about. Um, but they sell teen mags. And I'm a big teen mag collector from the 60s. And... Um, like they always like slash the prices Sunday, so I'm I'm always there with like my spreadsheet on my phone. Like, what do I need? What do I not have? And they always have like these crazy rare, like really quirky magazines. Like I think that 
a couple of years ago, I got one that was like just about the twist. Really? And that's such a fun one. Yeah. And it has great photos of like the Peppermint Lounge in New York and all this like random stuff. Uh, but I, I don't remember if they were there. Well, that that that, that makes me want to ask the most important question I've ever asked. Have you met Chubby Checker? I have. No fucking way. I have. I have. He was maybe the first 60s person I ever met. I did meet Chubby Checker. Um, Your my, life's I was complete right mom. there. <laughs> That's so funny. You actually hit on one. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I met him in like summer of like 2000. It was pretty early and he was performing at like a summer concert series in Youngstown, Ohio. And my mom and I went and she was so excited. I have a picture of her and Chubby. I'm pretty sure somewhere there's a photo of me and Chubby too, but uh, she was pretty excited uh, to meet him. What? She's not excited about the. She wasn't excited about the Beatles and the Monkeys, but she fucking loved Chubby Checker, and she loved Gary Lewis too. She has her priorities straight. I've met. She does. Yeah. She. Well, she did. Yes. After this Sadly, episode, we're going us. to a purely chubber, <laughs> Chubby Checker format. Oh my God! Can we talk about the Chubby Checker Bobby Rydell album? <laughs> like, <laughs> why? Why the, the hell not? Classic. Why the hell not? <laughs> that'll that'll be a future podcast. Anything's a possibility. Yes, exactly. When you have unlimited uh, internet access. See, th- that's also one of the perils of giving internet access to everybody. You, you end up True. situations like this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what kind of dark corners can we tap into? It's like, what drugs is this kid on? You know, talk about Chubby <laughs> Checker out of nowhere. Uh, the good stuff, apparently, because that's pretty awesome. I'm glad that Chubby Checker came up. That's so funny. <laughs> you know, I I, I have to do that. my due my I have to do my due diligence as a host. And now we we move on to the it's always my favorite section of the show, the quick fire questions. Even though they're very much not Ooh. quick. What is your actually since we we were talking about the monkeys fairly recently in terms of show length, um, what well, what's your favorite monkey song? Oh man! And uh, as of recording this, I I saw what you've been doing on your Instagram. You've been polling your audience on you know the top best songs from the first Monkeys album. And last I checked, you were onto the second one. Yes. Well, I'm sort of going taking cues from the Monkeys Instagram because they're posting you know on anniversaries of the releases or whatever. And um, I've been going through a major Monkeys thing uh, recently because I'm working on a project. Uh, involving the monkeys so um but yeah that's been really fun i'll have to ask you after the show what that is (laughs) it's not a secret but it's uh not really relevant um but yeah so uh god favorite monkey song i it's so hard because i love so many if you want i I can go first sure which yeah what's yours right right now it's can you dig it which version? The one from the Head album. From Head? Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. The Mickey vocal. A- yeah. Actually, no, it's Porpoise Song. Why? Why? Porpoise Song is fucking great. That, I, I'm a very... Uh, I'm a very big defender of the Head album. And the Head oh, movie. Oh, the album is impeccable. And the movie. Yeah. The movie's, the movie's weird as hell. It's fine. That's, it's great. That's why it's, it's great that's why in its, its own good. way. It's even yeah. better when you're on the good stuff, like me. 
Oh, I see. I've never done that. No, but, I, uh, I haven't either. That would explain why. I, I haven't either, <laughs> wink, wink. But I, wink, I probably wink. should. You know, I'm turning 19 I've heard... in the in the oh, summer. So I, you know, the the age for all the stuff here is 19. So Oh, is it? I didn't know that. I think so. <laughs> oh. Well, there you go. I mean, I've heard from friends who have, you know... Uh, witness head on some good stuff that it's uh, a whole other experience yeah. apparently um uh, oh i but actually i was gonna pull from head also for one of my favorite songs which is as we go along okay the the great carol king song from head um my my completely douchebaggy answer for that <laughs> <laughs> to that song though or to that question the song um I love is called I Don't Think You Know Me, which was tried out pretty much with every monkey on lead vocal. It never made it onto an album. It's only on, you know, the bonus tracks. I think um, my favorite version is Mickey singing it, which is on the bonus tracks, I think, of the first album. Um, Was it on, like, one of those Missing Links things or something? I don't know that there's a version on Missing Links. I think it's all it just exists in the bonus tracks, um, the reissues. But yeah, I love I love that song. I think the words are great. Um, I wish it could have it could have uh, gotten polished up for an album, but it's a great track. Michael St. Matthew, insane song, so great. Um, How is that a yeah. douchebaggy answer? That's that's a good answer. Because it's like a you know it's like the, oh it's so deep it's like a rare bonus track on the reissues only you know it's no, one good of songs those are good answers. songs. Yeah. No, and there's a lot to love on the Missing Links albums. I'm glad you mentioned those. People would call me fucking douchebaggy, you know, when I say what my favorite Beatles song is right now, and it's it's all too much. It's like, oh, you're just saying that because it's a fucking deep cut. Oh, please. I don't know that. Do you think that deep cuts exist for the Beatles? I just don't. I don't know. No, not really. Yeah, well, I think right? the only album that really has, you know, deep cuts is actually probably Yellow Submarine. Oh, well, yeah, the white cover, maybe. Yeah. But I, yeah, what I, what's the original soundtrack? Um, yeah. And really, the only stuff that counts as more deep cuts with the Beatles is if you kind of go into the anthology BBC, mostly bootleg territory. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that how deep you can get with the deep Beatles D-tracks. Um, I, I brought this up. I was listening to the Sirius XM Beatles channel and uh Oh great. They were uh doing a top seventy five early Beatles songs countdown. And I, oh. I burst into fucking laughter when I heard that. <laughs> I, I love the channel, but come on, that's almost comically, you know, over exaggerated at that point. I And they had I Susanna am... Hoffs doing the list. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. I like her. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know. That seems, yeah, that seems like a lot. I, I had to do the math. It's like, are there even 75 early Beatles songs? That's very funny. It's very funny. It's like, oh, no, they had to leave out about 12 songs. Yeah, it's like the bottom of the barrel. It's like the Ringo cuts. I would almost be more interested to hear what the bottom ranking ones at the early catalog are yeah probably the covers some of the covers that i don't even know i would listen to that i would so fucking listen to that 
Okay, cool. We'll do it on because of the Beatles. Stealing. <laughs> I, I would be very happy for you to steal that because I would listen to that. Sweet. Well, that's great. Well, this you, has been have, research. You'd have to bring me on as a guest to do this. Well, yeah, of course, because you have inspired us. Um, we need to have you on anyway. Uh, sure. Of course. <laughs> Self-promotion here. Yeah. Yes. Trying to weasel my way into every podcast. Um, that's how you do it. <laughs> this is a subtle segue. Uh, what is your favorite Beatles song? I love... I have a pre-prepared answer for this, as you should. Um, but I love um, Andrew Burke can sing from Revolver, which is my favorite Beatles album. Which, which version, though? Since you ask me that which, with... Whatever. <laughs> just, you know, let's let's just go with, like, you know, good old mono. <laughs> you know, the, the run-of-the-mill version. Yeah. You, you can't beat that guitar part. No, the double track guitar part is where George is playing, you know, both parts at once. So good. Um, I was just listening to it today, in fact, and I just was reminded again, like, oh, so good. And the harmonies when it comes in off the bridge. Yeah. When, when I think of that song for some reason, I always think of the Beatles cartoon because they use that as the intro song for like the Oh, really? The I didn't know season. that. I That's for some reason... That always comes to mind. That's so funny. I That's a weird one to use for a Beatles cartoon. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, they had these cartoon drawings of the Beatles, like, fading into real pictures. And it's it's a weird intro. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's... I, I don't know if I would have picked that song for that, but all right. Flip. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> Flip side to that question, what is your least favorite Beatles song? I... Okay, well... There's a few. I, but, I like how you hesitated uh, there. You, it sounded like you were about to say, I hate, and it's like, okay, good, she has one. Oh, oh yeah. I think every, I think you're lying if you say you don't have one. Then um, a lot of my guests have been lying. And I, uh, I assume so. They, you have to have one that just like grinds your gears or you can't fucking stand to hear anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's just, that's okay. That's life. Um, I hate i'm trying to think if hate qualifies i really do not care for yesterday i really think it's just so overplayed so overdone if i never hear it again it's like the most boring part of a paul concert i'm besides my valentine oh yeah no that's definitely a bathroom break that's literally what i called it on another show it's like that's the bathroom break you can go to the concession stand song yeah, exactly. That's me going to get another margarita, uh, another like $22 margarita song. What is your favorite Beatle album? Revolver. Correct answer. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have a least favorite Beatle album? No, you know, I really don't. That's the honest answer. I like there's virtue I find in every Beatles album. Um, or what? What's the one you listen to the least? Listen to the least. Gosh, um, probably a later album. Maybe like Let It Be. Again, correct answer. <laughs> Apologies to the one guy in my YouTube comment section who always gets really sad when I shit on Let It Be. He's of like, of course, there's one guy. That's like my favorite album, and he, he takes it quite personally. So, apologies, man. Sorry, dude. Sorry, it's just, 
as they say it's consistency at this point haters can hate Uh, and i'm the hater well you know he's he's fighting the good fight so keep it up dude i can respect army of one and now yeah mad respect here's here's the best part of the show like turn it over to you what would you like to plug what I like to plug? Oh gosh! Well, gee, Ethan, I have no idea, but I think I'd like to plug my Beatles podcast. Would that be BC called... the Beatles? <laughs> it was BC the Beatles, or because the Beatles, whichever you like. Um, yes, my podcast, my co-host Erica White, and uh, it's just us talking about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles, um, with our guests or ourselves or whatever. Um, from a you know a ladder gen as we call it ladder gen female perspective and uh yeah you can find us anywhere we're everywhere um we're also on all social media yeah well now it's everyone's favorite part of the show the part where ethan tries to explain how to find his show i i'm really not good at this part it's always my least favorite but i have to do it you know you have to just bite the bullet all right, so if you're watching this or listening to it on YouTube, uh, please hit that like button if you liked it. Even if you didn't, please hit that like button. I have a very fragile ego. Um, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And also, hit that little bell notification icon so you get notified every time a new episode of Fans on the Run gets uploaded. And sometimes I put up other stuff too, so you'll be the first to know then. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you want to listen to it elsewhere, we're available on all the, the podcast platforms. Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, Podbay, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, everywhere. We're everywhere. We're inescapable. Uh, Facebook, Fans on the Run Podcast. Twitter, Fans on the Run Pod. Although I really need to get better at my Twitter presence. And uh, Instagram, right? I do all the covers for the shows. Uh, fans on the run podcast and whew, there we go thank you thank you so much for coming on the show again or uh, oh, oh well, I just I... let it slip I said again <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wasn't sure whether that was going to be addressed or not okay the show. okay fine this is the second attempt <laughs> I, I take we had a practice run yeah <laughs> uh but any of sorts yeah but anyways to everyone else out there thank you for listening you can go home. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.